Good morning to everyone here. Uh, definitely was not expecting that this, uh, this this morning, but it's all right. Glad that I, my mind is always seems to be going back to a few things that I have spoken at other places recently, and hopefully it'll be beneficial to you all here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to First Corinthians in the first chapters there, and uh, I'll get there in just a minute. Uh, I guess I'll start out by saying this. Um, something that I, I've always kind of kept in the back of my mind and something that I think is good for us all to do is the one always, you know, in order to constantly have this, this, this uh, idea of constant improvement or wanting to be better each and every day uh, or just to improve uh, ourselves, uh, I was listening to, uh, to a commentary this week, and uh, this gentleman said something to the effect of um, that unless we, unless we are willing to be very self-critical or criticize ourselves, then eventually we will uh, end up with self-righteous hypocrisy. And uh, the more and more I thought about that statement is that, you know, we can ourselves get to a say, well, we all sometimes to a degree, you know, we think, hey, we're, we're pretty good folks. We're pretty good people. We know people like me and this kind of thing. And, you know, and we have that mindset on occasion. Uh, but it can also be very, very dangerous, uh, especially when it comes to churches uh, and probably in, in many ways, because uh, I think we would all agree that we want to be to to be our best selves or to improve ourselves in hopes that we would glorify God. Uh, we sang a song this morning. We sang a couple of songs. I really enjoyed the song choices this morning. Uh, uh, we sang uh, to God uh, beyond all... Uh, what's, what's the last one? Beyond all praising. To God beyond all praising. Uh, we sang another one, uh, Eagle's Wings, in the lines of those songs that says, Who can direct the mind of God or who can be His counselor? more or less. And those songs came directly from Scripture. And as we uh, sing those songs, we have to do, we have to do some thinking. We, one, as we are singing the songs, I hope we, our minds are directed to the words of those songs. Uh, why else would, do we sing the songs? Do we sing them just because we love hearing everybody's voices and the blending of the harmonies? Or do we care about what we're singing? Uh, you know, we sang the song 288, Bless uh, Jesus While in Mortal Flesh. We think about those, the words in those songs that uh, they, they mean something to us. And they, they come directly from God's Word, and we sing them hoping to, glory, uh, to glorify and to honor Him. Now, the Apostle Paul, he writes a couple of things here, and I think there's something that I probably have never really put together in 1 Corinthians but uh, I'm going to try to do that uh, this morning. Uh, there's a particular verse, and I think when anytime you find a section of Scripture that is mentioned one, two, three, four times in the Scriptures, it's something we ought to pay attention to. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to grab, grab the last verse, it says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Now we turn back over to Romans chapter 11, and we can read over there in verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. We have another song that Brother Tim wrote these very words in there in the New Songs of Zion. For who had known the mind of the Lord, or who, or who had been His counselor? Or who hath, first, uh, who hath first given to Him, and it shall be recompensed unto Him again? 
For of him, through him, and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. And amen. Paul wrote that to the Roman church. Paul also wrote the first verse that I read to you to the Corinthian church. And he also would turn to the Philippian church. And in an instruction to the Philippians, he would say, If there be any consolation in Christ, chapter 2, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on, the thing, on his own thing, but, on, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I love the way Paul writes his letters because he's always pointing you back to Christ. Brother Adam actually talked about that last weekend, even with the Galatian church. They got caught up in the uncircumcision or the circumcision, and he was trying again. It's all about Christ. It's all about the finished work that he did. Why are you trying to come up with another doctrine, or why are you trying to revert back to the law? It's all about Jesus Christ. And the same message is the same message here in the first chapter uh, of the book of uh, Corinthians. And I want us to be aware of this because I know we can all get caught up in a lot of things. We can get caught up in saying, well, you know, we're not like the other churches here locally, or we're not like other primitive Baptist churches, maybe in the Alabama area or something else like that. We can be so divisive in our terms. And Paul actually directly addresses this because we get distracted by things that don't even really matter. The whole point of the first, uh, the first letter to the, to the people at Car- Corinth was not only to correct them about a lot of their practices that they were doing, but it was also to get them back to Christ. And uh, you go back and uh, over and read. I guess it's in Revelation in the second chapter to the, to the church at Ephesus there. He says, I know your works, I know your labors, but you've forgotten something. The first love that you had toward Christ. And he actually goes to the Laodicean church and says, I would that you be hot or cold, not lukewarm. But sometimes I have to ask ourselves, we, we, we may say, well, in the primitive Baptist church here, we, we're probably just lukewarm. Are we? Or are we cold? I desire that we be hot. That would be, we, would be, we would have a burning fire within us that would want to serve God every day to the best of our ability. Not serving ourselves, but we're serving each other. As Paul wrote to the Philippian church, Let not, look not every man on his own thing, but on the things of others. Serving God in the process because we're, about, we're to have this mind of Christ. We are to... So, and thinking about all that, let's just start reading in the first chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians and see what he says. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and uh, Sothenus, our brother, under the church of God, uh, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by Him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye, be, uh, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, 
by whom you were, uh, you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. What an introduction. He reminds them of the fact that he, he recognized the grace that has been imparted to them at Corinth. He is hoping that they are enriched by knowing Jesus Christ in all utterance and knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed, it was confirmed in you. But now he has to write to them a letter that is going to rebuke them. And nobody, I mean, i got to be honest, nobody likes being rebuked. Does anybody here like being told or getting on to anybody? Probably not. I know I didn't growing up, and I'm learning, uh, what's the old saying, you pay for your raising? Getting into a little bit of that with little Levi, and uh, it's hard, you know. Um, he comes in this morning, spills a nice tomato ju- drink or something that Sammy had in our carpet, our nice white kind of cream-looking carpet, which we had to clean up. And, and of course, you know, Sammy, you know, Sammy had to get on to him. And then I had to get on to him like probably 10 minutes after that for something else he was doing because uh, he's getting into things, right? And he and he and he's tender. He cries. Yeah. Nobody likes when their hand is slapped or that somebody gets on to them. I don't know. I can't imagine the, the, the feeling that is about to go on when the Corinthians receive this letter from the Apostle Paul. Yet I do know one thing is confirmed that we know. We can go to the second uh, uh, book of Corinthians, to the second letter, which Paul wrote. And he says, I'm sorry that I made you sorry, but I'm not really sorry because you repented of what you need and and changed what you needed to change. He said, so, I mean, I think that's to me. It's like, I'm sorry that I have to whip my son, but I'm not sorry as long as he is improving and I'm doing it because God has called me to raise him up in the nurture and admonition of God. Amen. We think about that. So sometimes we have to be self-critical in hopes for the things down the road will be better. And so here, Paul's going to write and he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are the household house of Chloe, that there were there are contentions among you. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Now, one thing that we need to point out here is the fact that I would hope we would never be in a state here amongst us in this in this body here today where some would say, well, I'm of Charles and somebody would say, well, I'm of Adam. Well, if we say either of those things, we still miss the mark because we're not here to follow Charles and Adam. I'm sorry, that's just not the case. We're here to follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? No, Charles wasn't. Derek wasn't. Adam wasn't. Any other preacher that I know of was not crucified for the name of Christ. But Christ, sorry, was not crucified, was crucified for the sins of the people. It was Jesus Christ. Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? When we baptize, we don't baptize in the name of Derek Kitchens and whatever else that we may do. And Paul's directly saying that. We don't baptize in, the, in our name. We baptize in his name. Because it's all, again, it's about Christ. It's about pointing the church back to Jesus Christ. I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. And I think he also says the household of Stephanus here in just a minute. But could you imagine the rebuke that, what if, what if, what if the rebuke to us is, I, th- I think, well, I didn't baptize none of you guys. 
That's bad, isn't it? That's bad. <laughs> Sister Mar, that's bad. And, you, and, and as, I, as I read, the, like to me, when I read this, I have to almost read it passionately because Paul, when he's pinning these things out, it's almost like you can just feel the pain that he's having in, in the writing of this letter. I thank God I, I baptized none of you. But Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name, and I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. And I think it's important that we gather some of the statements that the Apostle Paul is going to say in the very next couple of paragraphs here is that the preaching of the cross is supposed to be simple it's supposed to be plain it's not supposed to sound like man's wisdom to to the child of god it's supposed to be the word of god plainly delivered to god's people so paul didn't say didn't come and say i have all these excellent words you will never hear me say many big words one i don't know them two so what uh, that's about all I got. I, I'd rather just be, if I say the words plainly to you, I know you will know what I mean when I say them. So he then goes on to talk about the preaching of the cross. He says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Now, Paul brings out the fact that I'm always, I've always kind of, It says it here in a couple of verses, but I'll get there in a minute. We know very simple that the preaching of the, uh, the, the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the cross to those that are unregenerate does not benefit them. We, we know that. But to you and me, there's something different about the preaching of the gospel. The preaching of the gospel should, one, instruct us. It should teach us some things. It should reveal some things to us that we didn't know before. And it should be something that when, that when we hear it, we want to respond to it. That it should actually do as the word, as the word say, it's unto us which are regenerate or saved, that it should be that it is the power of God. And Brother Adam so eloquently last week spoke about the power of Jesus Christ. And how, how that power is manifested itself through the Holy Spirit in us. So that our faith, when we hear the faith, it speaks to our faith that is within us and it should cause a response in us. That, would, that we should feel, maybe, our, our, maybe if we're rebuked, maybe it's our conscience that is seared a little bit. We feel guilty for what we've done or maybe we feel guilty when we've mistreated others or something of that nature. But it also should be something that humbles us, makes us want to humble ourselves and be, have that mind of Christ. He said... Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What did Christ do? He humbled himself. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but came in the form of a servant. He humbled himself, even unto the death of the cross, Philippians chapter 2 tells us. That should cause us to want to also respond ourselves. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and, the, uh, and, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Now, I, I, I could probably go many different or talk about many different people this morning. But you will know the people I'm talking about. 
Some people like to listen to things on YouTube. Uh, one of the ones that I, that's coming to mind right now is a guy by the name of Alan Watts. Don't know if anybody, any of y'all know who he is. Uh, but he likes to talk a lot about Christianity and how the modern church or the modern uh, denominations and all this, they've, whole, they've missed this whole market. He, he sounds like a really smart guy. And I don't doubt that he is a very smart guy. Uh, but sometimes you can almost just by listening to him realize at the plainness of the gospel just how foolish he really is. But to, to many people out there, oh, he's an intellectual. Oh, he's really, kind of reminds you of the people on Mars Hills in Acts chapter 17. Why did they go to Mars Hill? They went there to learn and to listen of every new thing that was coming out under the sun. And what did Paul do? Paul went down through all their gods and found the one that said to the tomb of the unknown God. And he says, him I declare unto you. See, it was all about, even through Paul's journey, it's like, I want to talk about Christ. I want to talk about what he's done. I don't want to talk about all the Scientology and science and the wisdom and the philosophies of this world. I just want to talk about Christ. He's, uh, so it, when we read stuff like, Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Yes, he has. Why? Because of what he did on the cross. <clears throat> Sometimes I start to think, maybe I'm very smart. Most of y'all know I'm not. It's okay. Or maybe sometimes I think I'm very strong. But I'm not. And Paul's going to go on to explain here. Well, I got ahead of myself, but I'll get there. So for after the wisdom of the God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And we always can say save how? We know what it means. When I hear the good gospel that is preached to us, it helps me to be a better person. It helps me treat my wife better, raise my children right, treat others well. That's how it can save me if I just adhere to the word of God. But the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Remember when, he, when uh, Jesus was talking to the Jews that came asking him about a sign? He said there would be but one sign given. And that sign was that of the prophet Jonas and, of the, and the fact that uh, the Son of God would be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights just as Jonah was in in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights. And then the Jew, the Greeks came and they seek, they sought wisdom. They wanted to convince, convince us with your wisdom, Paul. We wanted, they wanted to grow the, the, the mysteries and the mystifying pieces of the gospel. He says, but we preach Christ crucified. On the Jews, it's a stumbling block. Why? We can go over and read in Romans all about that, how they kicked the corner out uh, and basically... Uh, destroyed the foundation by uh, the Jews did. And then the Greeks, it's foolishness to them because they're seeking after wisdom. They're they're seeking after this worldly vain knowledge that is out there, so it's foolishness to them. But unto them which are called, those that are regenerate, both amongst the Jews and the Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness, and I want you all to pay attention to this, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Sometimes we get to going so fast and so hard that we've got it all figured out. And I've heard statements like this. Well, well, I don't I don't know if I want to say it that way or not. I'll say it the way I was going to say it. We Sometimes we just think we got it all right. 
We know it all. I'm going to say that. We know it all. And I guarantee you, we ain't got even a fraction of it. And that's hard. It's almost like hard to hear. But I have to be self-critical to understand that every day, sometimes I see something in nature even. And I know that God, somehow, it's all in the palm of His hand. And He's got it working. It is going. And I don't know how it all works, but I know He does. For ye see your calling, brethren, that how not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Now, everybody probably saw this week's press conference about the acquittal of President Trump and all this stuff. And I'm not going to accuse anybody of anything, but I do want to make a funny statement. He did kind of mock Nancy Pelosi for saying, well, she said, you know, those that say I pray for you, they ain't praying and all this stuff. And you think about those that people that have a form of godliness. Isn't that a scripture that in the last day there will be those that have a form of godliness? People in high places like to tout Christianity and that they are godly people. And the scripture is telling you right here that they are not. There are not many of those types of people are out there called when it says... And I'm not talking about regenerate. I'm I'm not judging whether or not she's a child of God. I'm talking about those that are following Christ. This is a message to the Corinthian church, not about being born again. This is not about their eternal judgment. This is about, are you following Christ? Are you following the wisdom of this world, the elites of this world, the money of this world, and all these things? It's all about following Christ. Why why would Paul put that in there? Well, let's go back to the simple teachings of Jesus. Jesus himself went to the rich young ruler and said to him, It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of the needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because they're more concerned about their money. They're more concerned about their material possessions. They're more concerned about their status amongst uh, America today or amongst the elites and all those types of things. And then you have to laugh because you didn't read just directly below that where Peter looks at Jesus and says, "Well, Well, Jesus, where's our riches? We've been following you since day one. And Jesus has to turn to Peter and says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And has to put Peter right back in his place because Peter didn't know how rich he really was. He was walking and talking with the Son of God. He was right there all beside him the whole time. Even to the point of saying that I would die for you, Jesus, to turn right around the next day and deny him. Are we any better? I have to pray almost every day. I pray, Lord, forgive me for denying you again today. For not standing up for you when I should have. For not speaking your name when I should have. But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. That no flesh should glory in His presence. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus Christ is our wisdom. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Jesus Christ is what sanctifies us. And Jesus Christ is our redeemer. He is our redemption. So I'll ask you a question that is rhetorical. You don't have to answer. 
Why do you come to worship? I want to come hear about Christ. I never get, you know, what's the song we say? I love to hear the story of old. I love to hear it. And it never gets old. Why does it never get old? Because I know that He accomplished something that none of us could accomplish. He paid a debt that I can't pay. I'm in the process of trying to to buy a new house, possibly thinking about it. Most of y'all may know that, may not know that. And I looked at, and I really didn't think about it a lot, but you know, the, the realtor says, well, how much debt do you have, or how much left do you have to pay on it? I'm sitting here thinking, well, goodness gracious. And then I pulled up the number. That's a lot of money. A lot of money. And now I have to put into perspective, what is our sin debt? What was our real, what is the real total of the sin debt to Jesus Christ? Is it, is it five or... No, y'all know what I'm saying. There's no telling the amount of sin that is in each and every one of us and in our lives. Even the thoughts of our mind, the amount of sin that is there. It is almost hard for me to imagine that debt that just me as an individual had that Jesus Christ took upon Himself and paid it for you and for me and for all of His children. It is amazing to me that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. We have a reason to glory. We have a reason to want to worship. We have a reason to want to sing the songs. We have a reason that to, to, to gather together to pray to our God who knows the very desires of our heart, who knows us better than we know ourselves. There is a reason we gather together to pray and while we gather to sing and while we want to hear the preaching of the gospel is because if we're going to glory in something, let's glory in the one that accomplished it all. Right. So what Paul goes on to explain, I didn't come with you with excellency of speech and all these things, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I would, I, it would be a shame for us today to say that our wisdom stood in Charles Kitchens, in the preaching of Charles Kitchens, or in the preaching of Adam. I probably am guilty myself for standing in the wisdom of the preaching of many elders that I revered. And y'all probably know some of the ones I'm thinking of. But at the end of the day, they're just preachers. They're just exercising their calling to the best way they know how. And they do it at the liberty of how Christ blesses them to do so. Our, our faith should not stand in the wisdom of man. Our faith, where does our faith come from? In the world today, we have, they call it the word of faith movement. I call it the prosperity gospel. But they're always talking about my faith. My faith. My faith. It's Alan's faith. It ain't yours. It's the faith that God implanted in you by the Holy Ghost through regeneration. It was one of the ninefold fruits of the Spirit. It's His faith. He put it in you. We are to exercise that faith. Does that make sense? I can't conjure up faith. 
People today, they, they, people today, they'll teach that all you, all you do have to do is you just got to go to the supermarket and go down to aisle number three and you just got to get faith. If you could purchase it, that'd be a nice thing. But the problem is, faith doesn't work that way. Faith is not something that I can just go get, conjure up, say a prayer and have. It was given to you and me by the Holy Spirit. Love was given to us. Joy and peace and long-suffering. These are all things that we have, not by ourselves, but it was given to us and put in us by Jesus Christ and through His Spirit. It, it, the calling for you and I, you know, people like to say this scripture a lot. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, that is Philippians chapter 2, a couple of verses like 9 or 10 down there. It might be 11 or 12. But I love the very next verse because it says, For it is God which worketh in you both to do and will of his good pleasure. Of his good pleasure. We do it at the pleasure of Christ. We're to exercise what God has given us. So verse 6 of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, How be it we speak wisdom among them that are perfect? Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world under our glory. We speak it in a mystery, Paul says. It's still a mystery to me. I know it in my heart because I know what God's... I know, I know, I know what the Spirit has, has communicated with my heart and revealed to me and all of you about your salvation. But it's still a mystery to me. I don't understand it. I don't understand why God... Why did, why did he do it in the first place? That's a great mystery that we talk about. Why did God, before the foundation of the world, choose a people? Why did he love a people at all? Why did he create, why did he create a world that he knew was going to turn his back on him and sin against him in the Garden of Eden and preserve a way for those? Why? Why did, why did this all have to happen this way? I don't know. All I know is he did it. That's really all the answer I got for you is at the end of it. And it's still a mystery to me. It's still a mystery to me why God loved me at all. And if it's not a mystery to you why God loves you, we need to be self-critical again and humble ourselves a little bit because I am, I am amazed at why God loved any of us. Why did Paul, why did, why did, why did God choose Paul, a murderer, why did God choose Peter, who liked to fish naked all the time? Why did God call David righteous? Or a man after God's own heart, after what he did? Why did God call Lot, who basically was going to offer his daughters up to, to the men, to, the, to these men? And then the angels had to come get Lot out of there, out of Sodom and Gomorrah. But Lot was called righteous Lot. Why? I don't know. I don't know. It's still a mystery. It's a mystery to me. And it ought to be a mystery to you. And it ought to amaze you. It ought to baffle you. Because you know what? It, teach, it ought to teach us something about the long-suffering of God. 
and how patient God is and how much love He has toward us because it seems to be just more endless, endless, and everlasting as Jeremiah talks about how He loved us with an everlasting love and I just can't wrap my mind around it. Why? Because even the foolishness of God is still wiser than all of us doesn't matter how smart or how much I think and how great I think I am. I'm still a weak, foolish little person who is amazed at the power of God. And every day I continue to remind myself of that. Which none of the princes of this world would world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Even the deep things the Spirit searches and communicates to us. For what man knoweth the things of a man? Save the spirit of man which is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. The only way we know anything about our Lord is that it's been communicated to us by the Spirit of God. And then that faith, as Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 1, when we hear the power of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it then is then revealed from faith to faith. The spirits ought to almost communicate. Brother Allen's spirit within him, when, my, when we get together and we talk or we're in the presence of, of hearing God's word, but our faith, we ought to glory in that with each other. That's how we have fellowship one with another. It's because all of our spirits ought to be communicating the same message to each other at the hearing of the preaching of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. I've kind of been talking about all this all at once. I've kind of gotten ahead of myself a couple of times. Let's read it again. Now we all, we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know some things. I think that is important for us to gather out of this. I've talked about this for many years. Y'all have heard me preach it here. I've preached it elsewhere. I think it is important for us to have knowledge and know some things about God's Word. But the Spirit has given us uh, through the new birth that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. What are those things that are given that have, that He has given to us? They're endless. I don't, I don't. I wouldn't try to pretend to even list all of them today. We know the ninefold fruit of the Spirit. He has given. He is our redemption. He has given us sanctification. He is. He has given us His love, His grace. So many. In fact, something we don't probably think about a lot, but maybe we should. Brother Adam preached about it last weekend. He has given us a peace which passes all understanding. Because He made peace between us and God. When we were at enmity with God, He made peace. He is our peace, the Scripture says. But do we walk around in life like we have a lot of peace? Y'all know me probably better than I know myself. Y'all know I'm a worry ward. Y'all know that. I'm a worry ward. 
And I have to I have to be reminded that he is my peace. That, you know, I was talking to my boss, and me and him had a wonderful conversation. I actually shared it with my dad uh, yesterday on the phone. You know, sometimes people just surprise you. And I tell you, I don't know if God put me in this job. I pray that I pray that he did, because otherwise I wouldn't be just as shocked as I am. My boss likes me to come into his office, and we, this is like the third one we've had, but we have these like really, really long biblical talks. And this is a man that has been broken. He's been through three divorces. He's now in his fourth marriage. He confessed to me personally. He said, well, after three, three went wrong, I reckon I'd, I'd finally uh, marry someone that was a God-fearing person. He says, I think, I think this one's going to work out because I finally found somebody that was God-fearing, God-believing, and, uh, and loves God with, with all her heart. And we get to talking. And, we, and, and when I say people just amaze you, I don't find many people that can just regurgitate and go scripture for scripture with, with, with me. And he did. And it was an hour of just awesome, just conversation. But he said, the thing that, the impression that he, that he left with me that day was that he said something to me that when things were going wrong, he says, the one thing that kept him standing, that kept him pushing, pushing forward, is that he knew Christ Jesus. He knew even at his weakest point who was his strength and what could carry him through, despite all the mistakes. You're talking about a man who was in a 19-year marriage. And his wife, who worked literally around the corner in the same office building, was sleeping around with him with people at work. And he faced ridicule, realized that people were laughing at him. And the shame that he felt personally. But there was something the Spirit communicated to him that he knows who God is and the one that carried him through. That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words of man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. I wanted to bring that out because uh, there was a, I was talking to a preacher here recently and um, somehow we got on to the, to a discussion about what is, you know, what is really preaching and all this kind of thing and I, don't, I can't really describe to you the entire conversation. It would take too long. But I just asked a very simple question, and, and, and bless his heart, he just missed the point. The Scripture says here that we ought to be here comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. It did not say that we ought to be in here comparing carnal things with our spiritual things. Okay? Now, scripturally, we can go back over to Romans chapter 8. And it would tell us over there, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is what? Life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not the subject of the law of God, neither indeed can be. So we need to be here comparing spiritual things to spiritual things. In the conversation, they were comparing carnal things to spiritual things. In the preaching of the gospel, we could all be doing that too. 
And as you, the listener of the gospel that is preached to you at any given time, at any given where, when you're sitting under preaching, if you're sitting there judging the man, well, in, in recent developments, I'll say this, because <laughs> some of y'all may laugh, some of y'all may not, to some, preaching's about how you talk or how you sound. Does that make sense? To some people, whether or not you're called to preach was how you sound. Or, you know, whether you had certain inflections at certain times. That's how sing-song preaching became such a big thing. God bless my uncle. Obviously, I love Uncle Glenn. Not, not, and he was a great preacher. I loved hearing his preaching. But if that's what you think preaching is supposed to be or sound like, again... One of the best preachers that I remember coming to this church was Elder Dolph Painter. And I promise you, I would have rather have sat right here because I could barely hear the guy. And he didn't have some great inflection or any great words or anything else like that. He just came and talked in a still small voice and preached the simplicity of the gospel to the child of God. Now, preachers can also be carnal because now the preacher can be sitting out here judging all of you. Does that make sense? Why do we waste time doing those types of things? Because it's taking our mind where? It's taking our mind off Christ for sure. It's taking our mind off what's the preacher really trying to say. Or we we come in here and we're constantly judging one another. But Paul is continuing saying, let's get back to Christ. Let's get back to Christ. Let's read it again. I got a couple more scriptures. Which things also we speak not in the words uh, words which may uh, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Why we know the next verse very well. We always say it all the time. For the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Got it. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk, and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal... For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, you're not carnal and walk ye are not you're not carnal and walk as men. There was a question. For while one saith I'm of Paul and another I'm of Paulus, are ye not carnal? Now I'm gonna stop there because there's a lot I could continue on to. There's actually something very good in the next section of scriptures. Paul is going to basically change directions at that point in the letter to the Corinthians. And he's basically saying to them the same thing that I believe Paul wrote in Hebrews. Paul wrote in Hebrews that there was a time when you ought to have been teachers. But instead, now you still desire the sincere milk of the Word of God. And you cannot have meat because meat is only good for those that have their senses exercised to be able to discern both good and evil. And the question of self-evaluating ourselves today is, are we still in the need of milk? Are we still in the need of milk? And I think it's important for us to ask our question because the Bible instructs us that we let us therefore move on to perfection. 
Paul goes on in the next portion in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians to say that I, Paul, am a master builder. He says, there, uh, so he says, I watered, he says, uh, I planted and Apollos watered, but what? God bringeth the increase. And he goes on to say, for I am a master builder. His calling was unto the Gentiles to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he makes a very big point in that chapter. And he says, be careful or take heed. I believe a pre- a pre- uh, Brother Charles has been using a lot of take heed scriptures here lately. He says, take heed how ye build thereupon. That is the caution to all of us today as we ought to be aware. How have we built upon the name of Jesus Christ? I hope we don't build upon the name Primitive Baptist. I don't want to build upon the name of Jesus of, of, of Charles Kitchens or Adam Kinsall or Elmer Kitchens or anybody else that's ever been here before. When people come through that door, they ought to see Jesus Christ. Yes, they're probably going to see a whole bunch of sinners, but at the same time, I hope they see Jesus Christ. They ought to see it manifested in each and every one of His children as we gather here to worship His name and not our own. That is what I have taken away from my time in reading 1 Corinthians, and I hope it's been beneficial to y'all. Keep Jesus Christ at the center of what we do. Because it's all about Him and He deserves all of our praise and honor. Amen.